0: Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, we give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get
1: away from the keyboard.
0: Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and with me have my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much,
1: Richie. How are you doing, man? Hanging in there, man. What's new with you? You know, so over the past week or so, I've been I've been really digging into Visual Studio Code. So for everybody that's listening that doesn't know about it, Visual Studio Code is Microsoft's new lightweight code editor that actually runs cross-platform. So it runs on Windows, it runs on OS X, it actually runs on Linux too. And it has support for building ASP.net applications and and actually node applications too in the editor. So you get Code completion, you get debugging, you know, you get a lot of these cool features that are just almost essential for building these types of applications in this new completely free editor. One of the things I really like about it too is that it's built on top of a lot of open source technology. So it uses the Electron project that uh, came out of GitHub. And I believe it also uses TypeScript too for some of their code completions when you're doing uh, JavaScript. So I've been actually playing around with it, doing, you know, a little bit of prototyping, you know, just trying to get a feel of the editor, you know, see what it's actually like. And I got to say, I really do like it a lot. You know, uh, I have absolutely no qualms with it today. And, you know, I've used it to clean up some projects and I really don't miss Visual Studio that much wow that's uh, high praise for some beta software man yeah definitely i mean this could be one or two little things that you know can help get tweaked a little bit but you know i believe those will come in time you know like the ability to add plugins and you know some other little editing features but other than that for for software that's been out for two weeks or so and still in beta like i'm i'm, I'm definitely sold so what about you richie what have you been up to lately
0: well i've been a uh Finishing up a script called SP Data Profile. So that allows developers and data professionals to find bad data inside their own SQL servers. And um, it's finally out. I was finally able to get it out. And now I'm just doing a whole bunch of bug fixes and, and patches. And I'm and, um, really happy to finally, after about six months worth of work, uh, get that one out the door. And it's uh, available free on, on, on my website at uh, george.net. Totally free? 100% free? free. So maybe you haven't heard, Cecil, but recently Microsoft held their Build conference in San Francisco. So if you're not familiar with Build, it's Microsoft's annual developer conference where they introduce a lot of new technology that they've been working on. So in this episode, we're going to be talking to Rich Dudley, who had the opportunity to attend Build this year, Rich is going to give us a lowdown on all the interesting tech announcements from Build.
1: So tell us a little bit about Rich, Cecil. Sure. So Rich Dudley is a senior software engineer for Quicken Loans, where he supports the marketing team with Microsoft Technologies. Rich has actually been working with Microsoft Tech to build out data-driven and e-commerce websites since 2001. Rich and his wife are known throughout the floral industry for their adoption and use of technology to expand their floor business. Imagine that, huh? A techie guy doing a um, floor business. That's, that's pretty interesting, I think. That's pretty cool, man. Rich also holds uh, a master's degree in molecular biology, and his work prior to software development includes surviving cholera and purifying radioactive neurotoxins. I have no clue what that means. What?
0: (laughs) I have no clue. (laughs) It's impressive, but I have no clue what that means. Okay, sure.
1: That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Rich is also co-leader of the Pittsburgh.net user group, an ASP insider and the PACT author. So, this guy is fully stacked, man. Like, he sounds like the real deal. He is the real deal. So, this episode was recorded
0: on May 6, 2015. And so, here's our conversation with Rich Dudley. And now, Away From the Keyboards feature
1: conversation.
2: Did you get any replies to your, to your tweet today?
1: I
0: got no replies. No one wants to ask you any questions. I'm sorry to hear
2: that. That's what happens when you talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) should probably practice saying intelligent things, and then they'll ask me questions. Why start now? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I've made a career of it otherwise, so, you know, whatever. So, tell me about Build.
0: It looked like just a phenomenal... Event And I know that um, Microsoft had Build uh, last week and they had Ignite this week and just seems to be like there's just a ton of stuff that's going on in Redmond these days.
2: It, you know, it I got the feeling about halfway through the first keynote that Microsoft has just had it and they're going to lay some serious smack down and this bit about Microsoft's old and Microsoft's fading and they're just going to say, uh-uh. And, and they seem to do that really well. Uh they had a lot of really cool stuff to show. Obviously if you watch the day 1 keynote, uh the highlight for everybody was the uh, the hollow lens which was just amazing. Uh that is going to be crazy when that comes out. Uh and uh but you know there's a lot of nuances in that as well. Uh the lot of the .net uh, advances, the stuff in Azure I mean, there's a whole lot that they did, and that was just the developer side because when you look at Ignite, which is really the operations um, and some of the database stuff, there's a lot of stuff coming out of there that they didn't even cover it built. So, yeah, Microsoft has been extremely busy, and they've got some amazing stuff coming out. It's a good time to be in the Microsoft world.
1: So I caught a little bit of the keynote, and I heard them say that they actually had some of those Hololens units available for some of the attendees to try out. Did you actually get the chance to try one of them and see I what did, see what the experience was like?
2: I did not. I uh, apparently so you you had to like find the secret spot in the uh, in the application, the the build app to uh, to sign up for it. And I was apparently too slow, but uh, I know several people who did, and and they said it was just amazing. Um, a couple of the really cool things that they liked about it was it is actually augmented reality. So it's not like the Oculus, which is totally virtual. Uh, this is actually overlays on top of what you're seeing. So the HoloLens device itself is a full computer laden with accelerometers and cameras and things like that. So what you're seeing when you look at the visor, there's a stereoscopic camera pointing out through the front, recording your world projecting that into your visor and then laying over on top of it the, uh, the things that you want to see, the applications or whatever you're looking at. So that, that's really cool. So you see the outside world plus the stuff they're overlaying on it. Um, and the second thing about it is it's designed to be, uh, sort of communal from the start. So Oculus, again, it's designed for you. Um, but the, uh, the, the HoloLens is designed for, uh, for like classroom environments and for sharing among groups. So when they, if you saw the demo where they're talking about medical education from Case Western, I mean, that was designed to be a class all at one time interacting with the same views. And someone can touch and say, here, and they can, you know, blow it out. They're all seeing the same views together. And that really changes the whole dynamic because now this is like a communal thing where you're learning together or teaching or whatever you're doing.
1: Yeah, I can imagine the use cases for that are are relatively infinite. You In, know,
2: yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, because it's, it's not bound by even being in the same room. So, um, you know, you could have people on different sides of the world sharing the same experience through telemedicine or through whatever, um, together, which is really cool.
1: Yeah. So, so did you even get to see one? Cause one of the things I've always wondered was, is the headset or the, the, the face unit the only thing? Or is there a, a mount somewhere on the ground or nope, something else it. that it communicates with?
2: That's it. It is a full computer inside that visor. So that everything you need is inside that unit. It's completely self contained. There's a charger somewhere you've got to plug it into every now and then, but uh, other than that, no, it's completely self contained.
1: Okay. So one of the things that I was wondering too is if it's completely isolated like that, then what is it? What's the heat like? Like, after you use that for an hour or two, like, is that going to start to get pretty warm in your face? Like, cause I know my f- cell phone, when I use my cell phone for a while, like, use the camera or the GPS, like, it starts to heat up.
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, yeah, that's a good question. I wasn't one of the privileged ones to, uh, to try that, so I can't answer that question. But, uh, maybe some of your listeners or I can hunt down one of my friends who saw it can give us an idea on the heat dissipation.
1: Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting to find out. Yeah.
0: Now, one of the things that, um, Paul Thorat was mentioning in his review uh, from the HoloLens at Build was that the field of vision in the HoloLens was much smaller than the demos that he saw back in uh, January, where it was only a small uh, box right in the middle of your vision where you could kind of see everything. Otherwise, it wasn't this expansive view like you were seeing in the demos and all that other stuff. Did you hear any other uh, folks talk about that?
2: I did not hear any of that. Um, I don't know if that's true or if that's just a figment of they don't have full, you know, they didn't have full systems for everybody to mess with. Um, because the, the thing they had on stage where they had it rigged up to a camera, um, had had a great field of view, I thought, but, um, you know, we were watching it on 15, 20 foot wide jumbotrons.
0: Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put a link to that, that show, that story in the show notes.
2: Yeah, that'd be a good idea.
1: So what would you say are some of the other really interesting things outside of HoloLens that you saw build?
2: Uh, one of the cool things is, uh, is, is universal Windows applications. So that is an idea whose time came long ago. Uh, I think, and they're finally pulling it off. Um, for Windows 10, there will be a number of variants. Everything from the little IoT core that runs on a Raspberry Pi, all the way up to that ginormous pixel, uh, not pixel, touch, whatever the thing is now. Surface hub. That's what it is now. The Surface hub. Um, and even the uh, even the HoloLens, that's all a Windows, uh, it's all a universal Windows application. Uh, and the uh, you write one set of binaries, and it will run on every one of those uh, devices.
1: Really? I didn't know that. I didn't know the yeah. Surface Hub was also a Windows 10 device. That's pretty yep. interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. If you've ever seen one of those up close, those are awesome. Uh, and so they uh, so yeah that 's a Windows 10 that runs the same binary that will run on the phone, and that was that was also part of the demo is they uh, they were showing that may have been a day two thing where they were showing the uh, the same binary on the phone um, on the big uh, the big surface hub and on the little little uh, tiny IOt boards.
1: I wonder what that development experience would be like though i mean i'm guessing it 's all still pretty much xaml based, but you know I wonder how yeah. do they how do they detect What code to run on when you switch, you know, when you switch form factors?
2: Uh, they have a whole session on that, but it's done by interrogating the device. So the first thing it does is it interrogates the device to see if it's a tablet, if it's a phone, if it's headless, if it's ginormous. Um, and then from there, the secondary thing is, uh, it interrogates its window size. So you can think if, you're, if you've are if you got a, a Lumia in your hand, which is maybe, I don't know, so call it 720 pixels wide, right? You're holding it in portrait mode, 720 wide. Or you take the same binary and you squeeze it to uh, a sub-window, 720 pixels wide. You're going to get the exact same view because the responsive size just knows, oh, I'm, I'm this wide, so I need to switch to this set of layouts. Uh, and it's pretty slick how that happens. Likewise, if you take the phone and they demoed this and you hook it up to a large monitor, Boom. It gives you the full size view of that application. Hmm, that's
1: pretty interesting. So it's almost like a, a feature detection type functionality. Because I know in the web, doing web development, we kind of do something similar with, you know, with HTML5 and whatnot. Like, you know, does this browser support geolo- the geolocation API or, you know, something like that?
2: Right. Yeah. Feature detection. And then, of course, the CSS media queries to get the size of the thing that you're encased in. Uh, yeah. It's very, very similar to that. And they demoed that with XAML. I don't think they talked about WinJS uh, for that part. I don't know. I would imagine it would support that, but, um, you know, there were some things they kind of glossed over.
0: So was there a lot of talk about WinJS since you mentioned it? Because I've always thought it was kind of – it felt kind of like the add-on, oh, by the way, and there were – I just never felt like it was for real. Yeah, you know. So was...
2: no, there wasn't actually. Um, they didn't. They didn't bring it up specifically in any of the keynotes, um, and they focused more on the ability to recompile Android binaries, recompile uh, Objective C code, or to use Xamarin, um, which are all that's the bridges, right? Yeah.
1: What they talked about. Yeah, the
2: bridges. No,
1: that seems like that's going to be really big for them in terms of getting some more apps into the app store because for everybody that i know that has had or has even thought about getting a windows phone that's really been the concern right like can i get the app that i want to get you know or hey i have to develop for this should i develop for windows phone like is anybody actually going to use it you know so i think it kind of finds a good balance right like hey i can develop my android app oh hey and i can put it over to windows phone too with a not too too much effort right
2: Yeah, exactly. I think it's a genius idea because you think about, uh, think about all the Android developers. They need to write completely different binaries for, uh, for iOS. And you you see a lot of the interplay between that. You know, they have uh, Angry Birds on there, Candy Crush Saga, and whatever all that crap is. Um, you know. (laughs) They've got these companies with two groups writing two different completely sets of binaries. Um, you know, at least one of those source codes could easily be migrated to Windows now. And not just Windows Phone. That's a universal Windows app that comes out of there. Yep. So it'll run on, you know, you could play Angry Birds on a 70-odd-inch Surface Hub. That would be fun. Yeah,
1: That's that's really cool. Yeah. So I wondered, now that they've done that, what does that mean for Xamarin? You know, cause, you know, Xamarin has the, okay, you write in C sharp, you know, let's say you're using Xamarin forms, for instance. And now you can target all of these different mobile platforms, just targeting Xamarin forms using dot net, using C sharp. But now Microsoft's added another player to, you know, this cross platform mobile game, right? And they also added yeah. the ability to do C, shir- um, C plus plus too, I believe. So, so what is, does what, what does that mean for, you know, for Xamarin?
2: Well, they, they really propped out Xamarin and, and, you know, it, it's, it's two different sides of the same coin. Xamarin is for .NET developers who want to target Android, want to target iOS and want to target uh, Windows Universal. Um, so you start with .NET and you compile to the, Right binaries. The the bridges are you have Android written in whatever you write Android in Java, I think, uh, which comp- <laughs> <laughs> something whatever whatever uh, <laughs> you know. It, but that compiles now. That compiles to universal Windows. So uh, you know the nice thing about Xamarin is is you you can write one code base uh, with the right UI markup and you know some modifications, but you can write uh, basically in one set one set of languages and get all three binaries. Uh, the bridges do it in reverse. So you've written it in, in Android-ish, um, and that compiles to a universal Windows. You don't get iOS out of that as well. You just get the Windows app. Same thing with Objective-C. You, you start in Objective-C and now you can come to the Windows world. So it's like Xamarin in reverse. There's a, there's a definite place for both of those to exist side by side.
0: Yeah. So, so let's talk about what the bridges are. So the, the, the four bridges they talked about was iOS, uh, to Windows and android to windows web apps to windows and then win 32s all over to windows and of course that's what we're talking about all in the windows store putting all of those those binaries those, those types porting them all over into the windows store so then you can get it on your your windows pc and tablet and phone and and surface hub and whatever you want it's all going to be in there for, for whatever.
2: Right. Yeah. And, you know, the web apps that you mentioned, that's, um, that's kind of kooky because, uh, and that might be the story for WinJS, um, because they have the Cordova tools in Visual Studio now. And, and that might be the WinJS story moving forward. But, uh, the, the, the web apps that they were talking about are like, uh, it's not a packaged website. It's something really bizarre where, uh, this little application will actually slurp your web content off of a site. So you write an application that will pull itself fresh uh, as web content from a place out in the cloud. So it's not like, uh, it's not like a Cordova where you package an app and you put it in the store and when you want to make changes to it, you have to repackage that app and republish it to the store and everybody has to download it. This is a little bit different. It's an actual app that picks up its content uh if it, there's a refresh from uh from a site. It's kind huh. of wild. Yeah, and I was you, whatever. <laughs> 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 I you know, I I guess if you're a hardcore web guy, uh it's probably pretty exciting to you, but I kind of think you sell your soul a little bit when you use JavaScript. So, uh,
0: Oh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you're one of those web
2: developers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've been there, man. I was there before JavaScript was invented. So I remember the days. <laughs> oh, before JavaScript was invented. I that, know. that, that, uh,
0: that pearl, those pearl scripts, man, they scarred you for life, man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a really interesting. It was a really interesting thing they came up with. Um, it just, it, slur- it literally slurps, apparently slurps the site down, uh, when it loads. So that when you have changes, you just publish them out to, your site and it it brings it down it's not it's like a hosted app but it's not like just a web browser control uh in- encased in a in an app that that just is programmed to one url it actually is running the app locally it just gets the content from the site
1: right so it's almost like they download everything locally like like you said run it in some type of sandbox but it's it's almost like you're running it completely offline within their within their sandbox
2: yeah yeah, it's kind of wild.
0: So let's, let's change it up a little bit. They, they talked a lot about .NET going cross platform. Yeah. What can you tell us about that?
2: Uh, it's happening and it's really pretty cool. Um, there are some limitations. So it, it the, the .NET story is going to get really confusing here because there is .NET 452, right? Uh, and there's .NET uh, it, this is all in the umbrella of .NET 2015. So you have .NET 452, which is the full thing. That is the .NET that we're used to. The big download. Everything's installed on your machine. You know, it's all in the, uh, it's all in the, uh, framework inside your Windows folder. It's got everything in there. Then there's .NET 5, which is their cloud optimized core type of thing. And that is a really streamlined, minimal, Type of deal. That's the part that's cross-platform, obviously, because they had to pull all the Windows and crap out of there um, to make it work. So it's it's a very thin set of functionality right now that's that's going cross-platform. ASP.NET is the is really the first use case that's really big on there. Uh, that runs on Mac and on Linux. Um, it runs on Raspbian, which is a Linux. Port it runs on Windows. Somebody just got it on BSD not too long ago, so it's happening, and it's pretty cool because now it's sort of like people are like, oh, hey, we can we can compile this. So, but it's it's but the the thing is, those are two concurrent versions of .NET. So it's not like oh my gosh .NET. Back in the day when when .NET two came out. Uh, we all looked at that. Went, oh, .NET one one. We got to kind of do this migration to two, and then they ship yep. three. And you're like, wait, that's like two point five. That's just more stuff, <laughs> right? And then they came out <laughs> with three point five. You're like, what are you doing? I... That's like two seven five. It's just more stuff on top of more stuff on top of the framework. Well, now they've done it again. And so going forward, you're going to have this thing which is like going to slowly inch its way towards five, but can't ever be five because it has five. <laughs> going parallel to it so <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to asymptotically get closer to 5 and then i don't know maybe they'll name it like 7 or something or 10 or or 11 who knows they're going to skip something um and make a joke about it but that that's what's going to happen so those two things are are asympt- are are they're parallel um so don't think that like oh my god just because we have 5 i have to get rid of my 4.5 whatever no they're, they're parallel. You only use five right now if you're really interested in going cross-platform or really in this cloud-optimized, really thin client install. Um, and, and another point of five is, tell me if you've heard this story before. So um, all of the binaries for every application are installed in the application's little folder area, and they're specific to that application, which is different from .NET, um, four five where everything's installed in like the central windows and everything shares that version. Right. Uh, which was a fix for the thing that installed all of the binaries on a floppy disk and isolated things in a sandbox that way. Right. Like, cause if it all ran on three sixty K floppy, everything was its own sandbox. And those are great days. We had no DLL hell back in those days. Everything old <laughs> is new again. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> exactly. Except it takes up more space. Um, so, but that's the thing. So, uh, the .NET 5, uh, all runs locally, uh, things all run there, but the development of it is, is pretty cool. Um, and, and you kind of have to watch some of the Visual Studio 2015 demos to see that, uh, because it's, it's literally, um, is some people think this is great progress and some people are going to think this is a real pain in the ass. Cause when you, when you start up like an MVC project, you start up anything in .NET 4.5. Um, it's, it's all, it's all there, right? Like you can just start typing in ReSharper or, or whatever you use in Visual Studio and they provide you little hints and everything is right there for you. When you start up a .NET 5 empty project, there's nothing there zip, nothing. <laughs> the good news is it's really small, <laughs> but you have to add every single thing you want. It's like back in the days of the Apple II. If you wanted lowercase, you had to put in an expansion board for lowercase letters. <laughs> I'm dating myself. Yes, I'm old. I'm middle-aged. It's okay. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's how it is. So you have to, you literally have to install every little piece which some people are going to hate that experience because they just want everything to be there. And I don't care how big this is because I'm going to install this one big enterprise application, my big enterprise servers, and the 15 people in payroll are going to use this thing. And no one gives a crap about slow performance or bloated binaries, right? And that's fine. That's cool. There's a story for you there. Use .NET 4.5. But you've got other people and these are the guys who would like overclock every last millisecond of their chip. You know, they want to install every single class individually and, and you're kind of close to that with some of the stuff in .NET 5, which is awesome. So, you know, if you want to build it up little by little and have some very thin binaries that will work on a number of platforms, .NET 5 is your story.
0: Well, I'm, I'm cool with that as long as I can get a truly empty project template for asp.net mvc dude it's
2: empty can can we do that so there's there is there is empty asp.net and then there's the asp.net mvc which is empty except for like one or two extra references so to go from an asp.net empty to an mvc empty it's like i don't know adding a couple little references it's not that bloated yeah oh good yeah it's pretty cool um and there's uh you can see that happen in, in both of the Scott Hanselman talks. So the intro to ASP.NET five and then the uh the um, deep dive uh with uh with Damien and Scott Hanselman. Both of those are, are really good.
1: Yes, I've been playing around with the frameworks a little bit, you know, you know, just for some personal demos on and actually even playing around with it at work and uh, the .NET core I think that's what everybody's calling .NET five now, but um, yeah. like the .NET Core stuff is what I think what you're talking about, where you know you have that isolated instance, right, and then you only get the pieces that you ask for. And I can't agree with what you said, right? Like it, it just depends on your use case and what you're what you're going to do with it. You know, I know one of the the things that you always hear Scott Hanselman talk about is you know to make .NET a lot more less threatening. Right, and a lot easier to develop a lot, a lot more cross platform, a lot more of the model where I can bring my own editor and use. Yeah. Um And you know, one of the things I've been playing with too that I thought was really interesting that they brought out was was Visual Studio Code. Um you know, when I first saw it, I was a little skeptical about it. I was like, eh, I don't know you know i'll just use adam or sublime or something like that but you know i so i i did a project with it today you know created a site and you know did some work on it you know no visual studio nothing like that it was just you know this this editor and the command line and it actually works out pretty well you know i got intellisense you know i used the um the asp.net um yeoman generator that i oh, think cool. you know a friend of ours shane boyer um shane was, yeah. shane, shane actually did that uh, it was actually it works really well i did not miss visual studio one bit to be honest with you
2: yeah and with the gulp and grunt support that they've added and the bower i mean that's uh it's pretty cool what they do with that yeoman generator and and the dot net because it does it just it just spins up a site for you and that's you know it's one of those things that like uh the old ASP .net was not opinionated you could do your own thing with it and for better for worse right because if you could do your own thing with it a lot of times uh you did dumb stuff yeah but, uh, you know, the yeoman is very opinionated and you have to, you have to get in the mindset of whoever set that up and like, okay, I understand why these things are in these folders and what this stuff means and, and stuff like that. So, but it's pretty cool to just watch it spin up something in seconds. And, and then you can just, you know, dnx dot slash whatever your site name is. And boom. The site just starts from nothing.
1: Yeah. And again, I, I love that because mainly because of the fact that I, I don't need to be in visual studio to do it like so for instance you know the company i work for right now like everybody has mac you know even the guys that you know do windows development or .Net development everybody's on mac running windows and virtual machines and sometimes you just want to go in and make a really quick easy change yeah you know and i'd rather just go in and spit up this editor uh, not have to boot windows or visual studio you know make this change real quick and and boom we're, we're off to the races right we're off and we're going
2: yeah, and it, it looks pretty good. I haven't had a chance to install that. I want to, uh, I want to get my Linux partition set up again so I can, uh, I can actually play with that actually on a Linux partition. So.
1: So, so what are some of the cool things that you saw from, from Windows 10 at the conference? I mean, I personally, I've never installed it or I haven't really even been following up with a lot of the updates. They've been talking about it. So, so what are some of the things that you can tell us about, you know, Windows 10?
2: uh it's it's much more familiar so the thing about uh, that i well there's a long list of things i hated about windows 8 but uh windows 10 is a lot smarter about what kind of device you're running on um and it, this was always my thing because well where i worked previously uh, i had windows 8 uh, a, a year before it was released so i had plenty of opportunity to to love it or hate it and you know the one thing was, it would boot up to that goofy screen, and there's Steve Sinoski up there with a the Surface goal. Once you touch your screen, you love touching your screen. Well, that's freaking great. I've got three 24-inch monitors mounted more than an arm's reach away from me. I'm not going to reach out and touch those damn things, right? <laughs> <laughs> but when you'd go to, but you, what would happen is that stupid Start screen would come up and it blank two of your monitors, and it would throw these goofy rectangles all over the one you're looking at, and and they took away that Start menu. Because I don't know about you guys, but I had my start menu kind of tuned where I could, you know, hit the Windows button with my thumb and a couple keys and I've launched whatever I need, right? Yep. Yep. And and they took that away, and now all of a sudden they're like, well, you're just a Luddite. No, I had it the way I wanted it. Um that's coming back. You have a real start menu again with some extra flavor on there. You get still get some live tiles and stuff, which is pretty cool. Um in the start menu. In the start really? menu, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've sort of smashed them together, and it's also a lot more intuitive. So they have this thing called tablet mode, um, and and the device they gave us is a uh, is an HP Spectre 360, which is cool because the uh, the the hinge it spins all the way around like a yoga. So um, you know you can go from a closed laptop and you can rotate it to a normal laptop like I have it now, and then you can spin it all the way around. And when you when you go into that configuration it flips itself into tablet mode and there's where by default if you hit the windows key the little the old start screen comes up which is fine because it's easy to hit that with fingers right and you're holding the thing in your hands so that's cool um so it's a lot more intelligent that way um it's also you know they got into this idea of like these this flat look where everything was a solid block of color great welcome back to windows 3.1 awesome i personally <laughs> liked that that sort of arrow effect that semi-translucent kind of thing i thought that yeah. was pretty soothing and kind of cool and and they're kind of bringing that back right like the xp thing with that glassy you know the rounded corners and that glassy effect that you spent forever trying to get just right by stretching GIFs or whatever um you know that's gone but uh but they're bringing some of that translucency back which i found very soothing actually um Cortana is, is integrated across all of the things. So if you have a laptop, you will have Cortana that you can talk to. Um, you know, same, same as on your phone. So you get that personal assistant there. Um, the applications now, they're moving all towards these universal applications. So everything starts to feel the same. Uh, you know, your mail is the same, um, and, and you get the same look. Like, the mail app is really pretty cool on Windows 10 because you can stretch it wider or squish it up. And when you squish it narrow, you see the thing that's going to be on the phone. Um, and you get the reading panes and it's, it's all very responsive and, and well done. So that's, that's some of the big things. They've made, uh, you know, a, gaz- a gazillion changes. They've really obviously been listening to feedback. Like, we hate this. We want this to work better. Um, and they've really been listening very well. Well they they he's, he's fired little... Sanofsky, yeah. so Yeah, that was th- there you go right there. Right. Right and, and you know, the next guy who came up it's like, listen, either you pay attention or, or your head is on a silver platter too. So, you know, they've obviously been listening a lot better. The charms bar is gone. The charms bar is gone. It's now uh it's now different. Um, it's now a notifications bar with some buttons on it that you can do uh, other stuff. But, yeah, so you don't have to do that goofy crap where, like, give me the charms, and now power is now a settings. So i can got go charms, settings, power, shut down. You can actually just hit your start menu and the little power thing and shut down like you used to. It's it's kind of nice. Um, so, yeah, the charms bar is gone. And, and those goofy, like, because, you know, you get to the charms bar, and they had, like, three settings that worked. And everything else, they'd throw you to the old control panel. You're like, what the hell's the point of that? Um They've got actually a, a completely new uh, settings menu. So um, it, it, the new control panel is, well, it's, you know, like when you got the new one in, in Windows 7 from XP, you're like, uh, that's coming back. So, but the uh, it's it's new, it's a little better arranged, um, and it's kind of nice, and it's more searchable, again.
1: You know what? Tell me about Cortana. Because I know Cortana was one of the features that I was really, really interested in seeing. You know, one, because I just think that the whole... You know, um, assistant technology is really interesting, but, but also, I'm a big Halo fan. So I'm, I'm definitely a big fan of the whole Cortana (laughs) concept.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm sorry,
1: Cecil.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it's, you know, I don't use Cortana a lot because I don't, I don't talk to equipment. Um, I don't use Siri either. My daughter, she's, she's seven, man. She'll just ask Siri instead of asking me and my wife help for homework. Um, but (laughs) I curse it. I curse it, Siri. Uh, Does that count? Yeah, I do too. Like, shut up. Go away. I didn't mean to push that button that long. (laughs) Um,
1: well that's an apple product so you could expect that
2: yeah <laughs> but yeah you know cortana is cortana is really cool because like like siri you can say hey siri what pizza restaurants are nearby and and it will do absolutely nothing for you because it, it doesn't understand most language um, but like cortana is really really intelligent when it comes to understanding language and you know it all started in microsoft research and all that stuff they do with the games where you can talk to the games on the xbox i mean it's just it's been growing and growing and growing so you can actually give real commands to cortana like you've seen the commercials like hey cortana when my wife calls do this but you know of course there's some training to that like you have to tell cortana who's your wife otherwise weird happens i would assume um uh, so, but it's it's interesting to see how much they've put in there and how much they've tried to make Cortana more than just like, uh, more than like, you, you know, you had a Windows 7 phone, you could give it simple commands like, you know, start whatever, or uh, what's this song, or you know, execute a little search. They've really put a lot of effort into making a full-on, um, you can actually link into stuff. And so uh, one thing that they had demoed, was uh, a flight simulator program with different waypoints. And you could hit Cortana and say, Hey, Cortana, start the flight game at Waypoint Bravo. And it could take you right there. So you're deep linking into a web app through Cortana, which is really pretty cool when you think about it. Because now all of a sudden you can, you can, you can tie your web content to your Windows desktop. And I'm watching that like, Oh, we've been down this road before. That doesn't sound good. But you can do it if you want to.
0: So, you know, I'm a big SQL guy and I know they announced a ton of stuff on the Azure SQL side. Uh do you recall any of some of that stuff?
2: Uh yes. So um there's a couple of different things there. One is it's you can now make it bigger, um, which is cool. But uh if you're if you're a multi tenant, so if you're doing stuff um on behalf of like say the places that we used to work, Richie, where we may be handling stuff for a number of well-known companies, and the data shouldn't necessarily mix between these companies, right? Yep. Um, it used to be you'd have to set up all this stuff per client per client, and you'd have to consolidate these accounts, and it was a real pain in the butt. Now uh, you can set up these little cluster groups where you can say, okay, this data belongs to client A, and this database belongs to client B. Ne'er the twain shall meet, but bill everything to me so that I can mark it up two and a half fold and bill it back to those guys. Yeah. So, because <laughs> hey, the real money is in services. So, <laughs> yep. so that's the
0: elastic database pool, right? <laughs>
2: yes. Yes. The elastic database pool is is what that is. Um, I was looking for my notes on that, and I should learn to write neater in the dark so that I could. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I, I took better notes when I was drunk at wine clubs than I did at the uh, at the keynotes. Uh, <laughs> someone needs a someone needs a surface and a pen. Which is ironic because I had one. I just don't. I, I, <laughs> 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 My handwriting is so bad; even the surface doesn't. <laughs> it just quits. It, just, it, it, it. says, "You
0: know, no, nope, no, no,
2: not gonna do right. it." Well, Talk to Cortana. See if Cortana can understand what the hell you're <laughs> saying. Right? Um, but yeah, so that is the Elastic Database Pool um, that uh, that came out, and that was pretty cool. Um, other than that, I didn't get too deep into the Azure Database stuff because I was on all the on the dot net session. So I'm still catching up on a lot of the uh, stuff. I think really a lot more of the Azure stuff, um, is coming out, uh, this week at Ignite because that's really more targeted towards that type of thing. Uh, right, know, build right. is build is developers, 23, 2500 developers and Ignite is 25,000 mishmash of everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think some of the, the things that, that really got me was during the keynote, from a SQL perspective, was an Azure SQL DB. They're finally getting full text search in it. And yes. it's like, well, what took you so long <laughs> yeah. to do this? <laughs> I mean, that's like a perfect use case for Azure. And, yeah. and now it's finally getting it. Um, transparent uh, data encryption. Yeah, the TDE. is finally, TDE's finally getting in there. Um, I was excited to hear about that. Uh, they talked about Azure data lakes. I'm yes. not quite sure... A lot. Of, I'm sure that's a lot of Hadoopery.
2: It is. Uh, um, yeah, I think that's built on. I think it's built on the HDFS, maybe using blobs. I didn't get into it, but yeah, it's it's either Hadoopery or obviously meant to compete with Hadoopery. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, row level security in SQL Azure. Yep. Yep. Um, and of course the oh the Elastic DB pool just uses a single connection, so somehow you can specify hey this is this is client A, just get client A's data. Because uh, you used to have to do all kinds of cockamamie stuff uh, in the connection string based on, on your client's um, claims.
0: Yeah, and so if you have yeah. 200 databases and I want to just have one statement to update all 200 databases, I could do that using the yeah. um, the Elastic Database pool. Yep. And the last thing they, they announced um, was the Azure SQL Data Warehouse. Yes. Which I'm super
2: excited about. Yep. And that, I think, is also... Uh, uh no, the data lake is HortonWorks. Um, yeah, the yeah. the SQL data warehouse is petabyte scale data warehouse. That's gonna be fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's gonna be fun. I I I I need some petabytes yep. of data. I think I'll just copy Stack Overflow about you know a million times. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and we'll we'll have it there. But um, I I think it's about time that we had a Microsoft cloud based data warehouse solution. And I think with some of the the new power bi stuff that's coming out i'm i'm really excited to see what they can do to have a cost effective data warehouse so that the small to small medium sized companies can jump in and really find some um, some great a data and a data analysis from their data in a, a cost effective
2: way. Sure. And they they also with that they also released a bunch of new data analytics technologies as well in Azure. Um, so to make use of the data warehouse and the data lake.
0: Yeah, the, the machine learning stuff really scares me. Oh, and yeah. It, it, and it it scares me not because we're giving all these tools to the developers. I think the developers can figure it out. But really there's a lot of knowledge you need to have to understand what algorithm you need to use for which analysis, and I think when we start giving that to developers without having a proper understanding of each of these algorithms, you'll start getting a lot of false positive stuff, and that's the 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 where you would get your data scientists in there who intimately understands the math behind everything, right? And say, you know what, that that's the false ca- false causality. You don't want to go that route that's that's a bad model here. Use this model instead and um and I didn't realize a lot of stuff till I got really good friends with a uh, a data scientist, and you know what he was doing just kind of blew my mind and'm like I don't understand what, this, what that is and <laughs> yeah. your modeling and your your log- algorithms are just way complex and you know it's good to see that they're they're pushing towards that way, but it really does kind of scare me from a, a usability standpoint as far as how accurate are these models of uh, using machine learning going to be. Well
2: exactly. And that's that's the double-edged sword. I guess maybe even the triple-edged sword there is if you know what you're doing, you could pull out some really incredible information. But is that information anybody should really have? And you know, I, I think you saw my tweets when they were doing that genetics demo. Um, and that was, I mean, I was, I was absolutely frightened by some of the stuff they were showing. Like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't show that to people. You shouldn't do these things because you're gonna, people are gonna sequence their genome and they're going to get this data back and they're gonna freaking change their lives based on probability because they don't understand. Probability, right? Like, yeah, sure. You might eat a perfect diet in the hopes of reducing your risk of prostate cancer, but y- you could potentially be ignoring some other factor like hypertension, you know? So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that go on there. Um, but like you say, on the other hand, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to end up with crap. And, and one thing that's still missing from everything is data quality. There's Zippo, uh, data quality. And so, uh, it, the problem is with, with data, garbage in, garbage out. The bigger the data, the bigger the garbage, the more possibility because people are like, oh my God, this Hadoop is magical. We put this data in here and you push some buttons and answers come out the other end and it's it's magical, right? But if you're not tending that data, if you're not taking good care of that data, you could potentially be getting really bad results and not know it.
0: Yeah, and, I spent the better part of my career and and literally the better part of this uh, last six months building a tool so we could easily get in the SQL server and do some data profiling stuff because it's it's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem that, you know, that we don't know we have. And that's the scary part about it. And when you is st- that us, us as developers, we don't know that we have bad data. We don't know how to figure out it is bad or versus good.
2: Well, to developers too, like bad data is trying to put a string in an integer field. Like, oh my God, it's not going to work. Well, it's bad data. Yeah, but, you know, like uh, if you're doing like body temperatures, right, you need a 98, 98, 98, 350, 350, 350, 98, 98, 98. Obviously, 350 is not a realistic body temperature. What happened there? Um, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, 350 is obviously an implausible example, but 105 is not. Um, you know, we I I've spent a heck of a lot of time uh in my career also on data quality issues um and even working with you know multiple suppliers. That's always fun to to line up that uh that information. Yep. Um yep. so you know, you can you can run into some issues there if you're not careful. So I don't know what they're gonna do uh long term. Obviously data quality is is on you. Uh, and data lakes and petabyte scale data warehouses make things, uh, easy to not care about data. It's like, I'll just throw it in the data lake, whatever. Um, but you know, that's where you start ending up with like the, uh, four eyed bass fish if you're not careful.
0: <laughs> you know, one of the, uh, things that I'm really interested in is the conference itself. You know, we're, um, I think all three of us have been to plenty of conferences and build is still fairly a new conference. And, What's the feeling like there? What was, what was the vibe? Um, what was it like?
2: It's a, it's, it's a neat conference to go to. It's really overwhelming in terms of the information they throw at you. And it's very tiring because, uh, you know, you're trying to keep up and process all this new information. So you're, you're excited from being there. You're excited for the things that they've shown you. Uh, you're going to the breakout sessions where you're trying to learn at a high level or at a deep dive level. Um, and I find it very, very, uh, exciting, but very wearying. Um, and then of course, being three time zones over, you're a little, little out of whack anyway. Um, so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I'm glad it's only like three days because by the time Friday afternoon comes around, you're really worn out and, uh, you know, you're ready to go home.
0: You you know, I think, I think one of the things that, you know, we, when we do go to conferences, at least for me nowadays, I want to have that interaction and I want to be able to talk with other people, see what they're doing. And 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 have that type of personal kind of kind of touch, that kind of communication. So, it, it, and and it seems to me that Bill's not kind of like that.
2: It's um, you know you got to find the right people to talk to. Not everybody is, you know, engineers. Not always the most extroverted people, and uh, you know, a lot of people are lost in thought. And I find myself like, all right, I just, I've just had this incredible brain dump, mind blown. I've got my old notebook out, I got my mole and my pencil, because so I'm rocking it old school. You know, I want to sit down and, and digest what I've just heard, and I'm not, you know, I'm even I'm not always open to like, hey, buddy, what are you working on? I'm taking notes here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's possible, you know. Um but it also helps if you know somebody to, uh, you know, to make some introductions to you. Um, see some old friends too. So, yeah, it's a little, uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's tough, but you can do it. You got, to, you just got to find the right people. Not everybody's open to it. Just pay attention to the grunts.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, is, is build one of those conferences that a, a, that as a developer, I should circle on my calendar every year and it's like, this is a must attend conference?
2: Um, all the sessions are recorded and they're up on channel nine. So if you're if you're interested in uh in the information, it's there. And just wait a couple days. You know, it's exciting if you've been to conferences and you enjoy the conference vibe, yeah. Otherwise, I don't know. Um I, I always enjoyed the more regional conferences too, because that's where places are really more open. You know, people are from uh, you know, when you go to like, uh, uh, South Florida code camp, people are from around there. And so you've got that shared experience of living there. Where do you live? Oh yeah, I grew up a couple streets over, you know, you've instantly got something in common and you can, you can start building some conversations there. where do you work on? Oh, I got a buddy who works there, you know, so-and-so, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, it's a little tougher with, uh, you know, it's a little bit tougher at a place like that. Um, uh, yeah, if you like the conference vibe, do it. I, I don't know if I'd go every year but every couple of years it's nice to get there and just see things right there cuz it's cool you know it's it's cool to be um it's cool to be there and to get the keynote and to get the vibe from the keynote it's cool to be there it's cool to get stuff from the keynote it's cool to feel that live um the big thing about build is all the hands on stuff that microsoft has and I skipped a a bunch of sessions one day just trying out different things, trying different hands-on labs, doing different coding exercises, because they have Microsoft experts right there that will help guide you. They've got these, 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 uh, the labs are guided and they've got people right there who can help walk you through the stuff that you just saw. And that to me is really the value of build is that you can sit down and code this stuff out right after seeing it in the keynote. Um, and that's pretty cool. Because then, you know, as a senior engineer and a technical lead, it's my job as a conference attendee to take that stuff back to my teams and to the company and say, Hey, this is what I learned. This is what I remember of the coding lab. Here's how we got started. I think this has some value to us or even being like, you know what? This thing's not quite what we need yet. Let's, let's see if it grows a little bit more. So the hands on stuff is the stuff that you don't get from the videos. Um, And you don't get a lot of the community vets. And that that to me makes it worth every year if you can do it, every couple of years, it's probably pretty good too.
1: We want to thank Rich Dudley for coming on the show and sharing his experience of Build. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. A
0: few weeks ago during our John Sanmez episode, we mentioned that we were giving away a copy of John's book, Soft Skills, the Software Developer's Life Manual. We had our drawing, and we would like to congratulate Patrick Timothy on winning the book. We'll have more giveaways in the future, and to be automatically entered in our next drawing, sign up for the newsletter at awayfromthekeyboard.com. You can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And while
1: you're on iTunes, you can comment and rate us. Next week on Away From the Keyboard, we'll have a conversation with Nick Molnar and Mike Wood. This is our final episode of our In the Speaker Room series at the South Florida Code Camp. You definitely don't want to miss this one. Sayonara. Sayonara.
0: We want to thank you for listening to Away From the Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego.
2: So, but no, did you tell, you told Cecil about the, uh, the evil twin thing, right? I did not. Okay. <laughs> I
0: did not. You know, and this what may, is, make what it,
2: is that? do it. So, so I, uh, I, I come down to, to, what was it? South Florida Code Camp, right? One, yep. one of the, yeah, South Florida Code Camp. And I, I'm giving a talk and I talk a little bit about my background in logistics. And so I was, uh, long story short, I was the senior engineer architect for, the company that handles the logistics for McDonald's, among other uh, a few other chains. So I'm talking about my background in very vague terms, and uh, and Richie comes up after my talk. He's like, I got to ask you, what did you used to do? So I tell him, blah blah blah, you know, McDonald's. He's like, Oh my gosh, that's so weird. I'm the same guy for the company that handles logistics for Burger King. So you know, instant friends right there, right? <laughs> um, but it's funny because you know, being rich and Richie, uh, we and we're both just about the same height. And uh, very, very similar in disposition, uh, you know, it just kind of clicked that we were like evil twins in a way. Um, and so it's grown from there that uh, yeah. that we are, in fact, apparently he is the evil one because I am the handsome one and the handsome one is always the good one. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's that's yeah it's delusional. But, uh, you know, yeah, we're both user group leaders. Yep.
2: You know, communities find ourselves
0: community speakers you know, data driven so.
2: engineers very very data focused uh, engine software engineers yep um, that's what we do yeah so and very very much uh very much of the same opinion of a lot of things in technology so it's um you know it's certainly entertaining when we get going back and forth uh, on Twitter certain days.
0: Yeah, that's. I was kind of. Uh, I was hoping we'd get a little bit of that today, but I was okay with holding back. I was holding back on that.
2: I was in meetings all you know? day. I couldn't turn on the Twitter feeds too much. I was. I was participating in meetings. Oh, I was talking about live, the bantering oh, live. Yeah. You know. Well, I think the the Skype dropping the calls all the time. Uh, <laughs> we just we just get going and bloop 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 bloop. Damn it! <laughs> So you got a lot of F-bombs to, uh, to edit yeah. out of my Audacity yeah. recording. Rich,
0: you ignorant <laughs> slut.
2: <laughs> so yeah, there's a, you, you probably could compile a best of uh, F-bombs.
0: <laughs> hey uh, Cecil, I think we just got our bonus track.
2: So <laughs> <laughs> a, a whole soundboard of